2: and thank you for standing by. Welcome to IMZ second quarter 2021 earnings and operation update call. At this time, all participants are in a listening-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I'd now like to hand the conference over to the speaker today, Pierre Labé, the Chief Financial Officer from IMV. Please go ahead, Mr. Labbé.
1: Thank you, April. Good morning, everyone. My name is Pierre Labbé, and I'm CFO at IMV. I'm pleased to welcome you to our clinical and operational update and second quarter financial results conference call. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Hall our interim CEO, and uh, Dr. Jeremy Brass, our uh, brand-new Chief Scientific Officer. During this call, we will discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. Any forward-looking statements made today are pursuant to and within the meaning of the safe harbor provisions of applicable security as well. These comments are based on current expectations of management regarding future events, and operating performance. They are not guarantees of future performance or or results. All forward-looking statements are subject to risk and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially. These risks are discussed in our continuous disclosure documents filed in compliance with applicable securities laws. The press release, the MDNA, and the financial statements are all posted on our website at imviphoneinc.com. If you wish to receive a copy of these documents, please do not hesitate to contact us. Finally, take note that we will take questions only from cell-side analysts. We'll now turn the call over to Andrew. Andrew.
0: Thank you, Pierre. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our clinical operational and financial second quarter results. For today's call, I'll begin with an overview of the company's operational highlights. Jeremy will follow with comments about the clinical programs and our recent translational update in ovarian cancer, and Pierre will conclude with a financial summary of the quarter. Before we begin, I'd like to take a moment to recognize Fred Ors and the contribution he made to IMB as CEO for the past five years. Jeremy, Pierre and I, as well as the whole IMV family, wish Fred the very best as he pursues his next endeavor. And we thank him for his leadership and devotion to IMV over many, many years. Thank you, Fred. Today, I'm pleased to review the IMV's latest achievements and update you on our progress. At any juncture of change, it's important to recognize the leadership team. It is Jeremy, Pierre, and my goal to accelerate the evolution of IMV in the near term. We will do this by a resolute commitment to execution alongside a refocusing of the scientific foundation that validates the DPX platform. To that end, I've been appointed to the role of interim CEO while continuing to oversee business development and operations. In this transition period, IMV maintains a seasoned and experienced leadership team who will execute the company's strategy with the full support of a dedicated, passionate, and talented team of employees. Dr. Jeremy Graf joins IMV as the Chief Scientific Officer. Jeremy has over 20 years of experience in preclinical and clinical research, with a strong translational focus for novel immune-activating immunotherapies in oncology. I'll ask Jeremy to provide a little more color to his background in a few minutes. The LAB will continue as IMB's Chief Financial Officer, thereby enabling continuance of focus on financial strategy and oversight. We've also appointed two renowned industry veterans in immune oncology as clinical advisors. Dr. Stan Frankel, who I worked with at Celgene, Dr. Jose Iglesias, who Jeremy has worked with previously, will be working closely with the leadership team to accelerate IMB's clinical development programs. Their focus will be to advance Mavera in relapsed refractory DLVCL, optimize and initiate the next clinical trial of ovarian cancer, and to identify therapeutic equipoits to explore other clinical combination opportunities. I'm also proud today to announce IMV's operational expansion into the U.S. with the recent opening of our corporate office in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The presence of IMV in the global biotech research hub, that is Cambridge, is an important step as we lean closer towards collaborations with other biotech, pharmaceutical companies, universities and research centres. This new corporate office will serve as a springboard for IMV to expand our talented team. We've already hired a VP translational development, are in the process now of expanding our team in the US and in Canada, as we get ready for an anticipated phase of company growth. Let me now give some brief highlights on our recent clinical accomplishments, which Jeremy will cover in more detail shortly. We recently announced top-line data for the DECIDE-1 Phase II clinical trial in recurrent advanced ovarian cancer. We'll also provide a snapshot of the translational analysis that proves further validation of our platform technology. More specifically, we generated su- strong supporting evidence that MavroPipment s successfully elicits the generation of tumor antigen-specific T-cells consistent with the mechanism conferring clinical benefit. Additionally, in June, IMB initiated the Phase 2b trial in relapsed refractory DLBCL, evaluating mavra s with and without cyclophosphamide with and without K-Truder. Lastly, on the financial front, I am pleased to report that IMB recently strengthened its balance sheet, raising net proceeds of approximately 23 million US dollars in July via an equity financing translating into a pro forma cash balance of 45.8 million US dollars as of June 30, 2021. Our current cash position is expected to support advancement of our clinical programs and will provide a runway beyond the expected upcoming delivery of key milestones. Also, we are pleased that we've been able to negotiate with the government of Nova Scotia, the deferral of monthly principal debt payments for 24 months, starting July 1st, 2021, on a Canadian $4.5 million loan. This deferral represents Canadian $2 million over the next two years. We'd also like to take an opportunity to thank Nova Scotia and its continuous support of IMB. Pierre will provide additional details about IMV's financial position and results later in the call. It is now my pleasure to turn the call over to Dr. Jeremy Graff to provide a brief background on himself and to review our platform as well as the recent clinical and translational data. Jeremy.
3: Thank you, Andrew. I'm thrilled today to join you as part of IMV. I wanna spend a brief moment just to explain my background and why I chose to join IMV. I have been in the industry now for more than 20 years. The first 14 of that being with Eli Lilly and Company, working across the entire range of cancer discovery and development, ultimately starting and leading the translational oncology group within Lilly. In the last seven years, my focus has turned to biotech, to the I.O. space, and to delivering novel immunotherapies. And really, that's the reason that I've joined IMV. When I had the opportunity to look at the technology that IMV provides, was very exciting, not only in the clinical proof of concept for the lead product targeting the survivin antigen, but really in the platform potential that this provides. So let's talk about that platform potential. The platform itself is a novel lipid nanoparticle delivery package of variety of cargo. Our lead product includes the survivin peptide antigens, and we've now dosed more than 350 patients with this molecule, we know that it is safe We know that it effectively activates a T-cell response specific to the surviving antigen. We also know that we can package other things into this platform. We have data on vaccines, specifically RSV. We have data in our preclinical space that we could, in fact, deliver other cargo, small molecules, messenger RNAs, other types of RNAs, antibodies, and viral-like particles. DPX has critical commercial advantages as well. It is fully synthetic, easy to manufacture. It's stable. As I said, we can package a variety of different types of cargo within the DPX platform. It is injected subcutaneously. It's a very simple in-office administration. It's very stable, and it can easily be scaled in manufacturing. So let's talk a little bit about what we announced yesterday, the completion of the advanced recurrent ovarian cancer trial, DECIDE. This is a very heavily pretreated treated population. Nearly 60% of these patients were platinum-resistant or refractory. The final patient completed the study after being on more than two years with clinical benefit. Completed study shows us that median overall survival is 19.9 months, which compares very favorably to historical controls. The overall survival rate near, nearly 45% at two years. And importantly, our translational analyses continue to affirm that in fact clinical benefit is derived from the way the pepamute S therapy works. It's derived from generating specific T cells to the surviving antigen that these tumors so routinely overexpress. Let me turn to our phase two B study in relapsed refractory DLBCL as well. As Andrew noted, We've started this study in June. It's a collaborative study with Merck, combining Mavropepamute-S with and without cyclophosphamide, with and without Keytruda. This is based upon our Phase 2 experience in a prior trial where we showed very compelling clinical evidence, particularly in PD-L1-positive patients with this triplet combination. Sites have been activated, and we are imminently enrolling our first patients in this trial, we will be scoring PDL one expression using the Merck CPS scoring system for all of our patients, and ultimately, that may help us crystallize the patient population that we will take forward toward a pivotal trial. Now, I'll hand off the presentation to Pierre Lavey.
1: Thank you, Jeremy. First, I uh, would like to remind you that all the numbers that we'll be discussing are in U.S. dollars. For the second quarter of 2021, we incurred a net loss and comprehensive loss of 7.4 million, or 11 cents per share, which compared to a net loss of 4.8 million, or 8 cents per share, for the same quarter in the June 30, 2020. The loss increase is mainly explained by an increase in R&D expenses of 1.4 million and a 1.2 million increase in GA expenses. R&D expenses increase is mainly due to startup costs for the Phase 2B mm-hmm. trial in the LBCL, the timing of manufacturing activities for Mavro Pippermint S and DPX sermage, and an increase in cap. This increase was partly offset by a decrease in cost for the preclinical development of DPX COVID-19 and costs for the ongoing basket trial. On the GNA e- expenses, the increase of $1.2 million in Q2 2021 is mainly explained by a rate increase in mid-2020 in the company's directors and officers' insurance premiums, an increase in net count, and an increase in recruiting fees for new executives and board members. As of June 30, 2021, the corporation has approximately $22.8 million of cash or on a pro forma basis, 45.8 million. Once we include the net proceeds of 23 million of the 25 million financing that we completed in July. Based on our current plan, uh, we expect that this current cash position will be sufficient to fund operation beyond the completion of the expected milestones of the next 12 months. We also have 2.5 million uh, 2.5 million in warrants expiring in May 2022, that could generate another $7.3 million, and 10.7 million warrants that are expiring in 2026, that could generate another $22.5 million for a potential inflow of $29.8 million. As of August 10, 2021, the number of issued and outstanding common shares was 82.1 million, and a total of 15.7 million stock options, the first shared units and warrants were outstanding. Note that the corporations uh, condensed consolidated financial statements for the three and six month period ended June 30th, 2021, and the related MDNA are available on CDAR and on Edgar. Thanks for your attention, and I will now turn the call back over to Andrew or his closing comments before the Q&A session. Andrew? Thanks, Pierre. So finally, let me walk you through
0: the upcoming events, which we believe will create significant momentum to our story and help drive shareholder value. We expect to provide an update from our ongoing DLBCL trial in the first half of 2022. By the end of this year, we plan to provide updates on our ongoing basket trial, with pembrolizumab, and more specifically, the bladder cancer and MSIH high cohorts. With respect to ovarian cancer, in the trial of Mavera we plan to leverage the recent translational findings to design the next clinical trial and present it to the FDA by year end. Incidentally, we will also be presenting these data and the translational support at upcoming medical conferences. The investigator-initiated Phase 1B trial in hormone receptor-positive HER2-negative breast cancer is expected to begin in Q3 this year. We will evaluate Mavra peppermint S in combination with an aromatase inhibitor with or without radiotherapy or cyclophosphamide and expect to provide a clinical update for this trial in the first half of 2022. So with a strengthened balance sheet, our highest ever cash balance and several exciting oncology programs underway, we are confident that the IMB story will continue to gain momentum over the coming year. Our goals are clear and concise. One, deliver timely clinical results from our lead program, Mavra Pep And two, highlight the value of our DPX delivery technology through scientific communications, all driving shareholder value. Thank you for your attention this morning, and operator, we're now ready to take questions.
2: Thank you. As a reminder, if you wish to ask a question, you need to press Star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the hash key. And your first question comes from the line of Tom Schrader from BTIG. Please ask your question.
4: Hi, this is Kaveri on Tom's line. Thanks for taking our question. Uh, and b- before that i, I just want to thank fred oh we have really learned a lot from him oh, a-, a lot a lot of immunology uh, and then uh, for msi high can you remind us if these are checkpoint naive or experienced patients and what keytruda monotherapy provides in this setting
0: okay thanks for your question and thanks also for the uh, acknowledgement on fred agree he taught us all a lot Jeremy, I may have you answer the uh, MSI high question with respect to the bladder cancer trial, with respect to the basket trial.
3: So, in the basket trial, and and we'll release these results later on this year, the MSI high groups are a mixed bag of those who have been checkpoint inhibitor experienced and those that are checkpoint inhibitor naive. So, we'll go through that in more detail later on in the year. I think your second part of the question was what do we expect in, in the checkpoint inhibitor naive population for MSI high? We expect Pembro alone is very active, so so I think where our interest is is whether or not we can help resurrect a response in the checkpoint inhibitor uh, experienced
4: patient population. Got it. Uh, thanks. And uh, um, maybe if you can explain your development strategy with bladder cancer, why Pervilac would Keycruda make sense in metastatic disease and CIRMAGE uh, with PD-1? in earlier line in earlier stages like prior and after surgery uh, is it a different biology there
0: jeremy
3: again that one's for you so i think what makes sense for us in bladder cancer in the metastatic setting is based upon our basket trial results and we do think in fact that member s and keytruda play well together in that space to drive a more significant response the surmage product that is next in line if you will within our portfolio is designed to attack two different tumor antigens, Survivin, as well as Mage A9, could also play very well with Keytruda in in any of the bladder cancer spaces, potentially, but our our focus is going to be early in that particular trial.
2: Great, thank you. Thank you, and your next question comes from the line of Nick Abbott from Wells Fargo. Please ask a question.
4: Oh, uh, good morning, and, and first, also, uh, pass along my thanks to, to Fred uh, for uh, helping us understand the story over the last few years. Um, Andrew, can you walk us through the next steps on diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, and, you know, do you think all cohorts move past stage one, or is the uh, goal to select a cohort to move forward, and then, with respect to uh, PD-L1, it is. Is that also a decision that gets made at the end of stage one? And then I have a follow-up, thank you.
0: Thanks, Nick, nice to hear from you. Uh, the, the strategy with DLBCL, the way we've staged the trial, is to, in that stage one, identify the sort of most probable and best combination to accelerate towards a registration program. Now, that does not mean we will forsake the data at the end of stage one if we see benefit across multiple arms. We clearly understand that a monotherapy regimen in any disease state is something that's an important commodity and potentially provides us opportunity to take that earlier into the treatment paradigm. And so the, the anticipation is to interpret the phase one data, identify a arm that will provide a most direct path to registration but then make sure we're thoughtfully evaluating all arms for the potential benefit that they may bring across uh, potentially a, a wider spectrum of the uh, DLBCL therapeutic landscape. Is that satisfactory, Nick?
4: Uh, yeah, just to, to the PDL? how does the PDL1 status um, Yeah, so we're, we're collecting correct, we're collecting
0: PDL1 at baseline for all patients Uh, that was done on the the basis of advice from the agency saying that they wanted to see and confirm that after setting the hypothesis that pd one drives benefit that we can demonstrate it clinically. Uh, The the stage two of the trial is designed to remain an all-comers trial. Uh, That is not to say we wouldn't then run a parallel program specifically in PD-L1 patients to, to make sure we're accelerating that benefit. The, the purpose of this Phase 2B trial is to, as you say, identify the best population and confirm that PD-L1 maintains its role as uh, siphoning responders from non-responders.
4: Okay, terrific. That's very clear. And then moving on to ovarian, um, obviously, I, I'm sure you want to present this, as you said, present this data at medical meetings, so may limit what you could say but are you able to break out uh, for us in terms of those platinum resistant refractory patients the median and landmark overall survival That's an excellent question nick and and jeremy would you like to take that
0: i think that would be in some ways difficult to do we could certainly do it but it would carve
3: up an already relatively small end value into even smaller parts that are probably not terribly meaningful um, we will be presenting that data this, this fall in a variety of different conferences, we've already submitted one abstract to the upcoming CITSI conference. Hope to get acceptance of that abstract shortly. But to carve up a very tiny data set into even tinier parts might not be terribly uh, revealing.
4: Yeah, I, I understood. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe just to step back is is do you think the signal in those patients is as strong as the signal in platinum sensitive patients?
3: Yes, we we see response in all three patient populations, if you will, the platinum-resistant, refractory, and sensitive. So I don't think there's any way for us to tell with this data set, with the size of this data set, whether that, that clinical benefit is more or less in any one of those three uh, patient populations.
4: Okay, that's helpful.
3: Thanks. Across then, all of them, yeah.
4: Do you, do you uh, think there will be one or more uh, clear biomarker strategies for the next trial I think what we've
3: been able to understand from our translational data is is really from a variety of angles so we look at this orthogonally the data tell us from all sorts of different angles that in fact our mechanism so survival specific t cell generation is linked to clinical benefit and we can see that in the context of pre-existing t cells we can see it t cells on treatment so, so I don't know that we'll have a specific biomarker with which to select patients. I think that might be a high bar. The most obvious would be survivin expression itself. That's what our target is for the immunotherapy. Survivin expression is, is very high in this patient population anyway. So using surviving expression by itself would not be terribly informative. These patients almost routinely express surviving. What we're trying to understand more deeply as we interrogate these data, first pass analysis of the translational work is finished. It's giving us a lot of hypotheses that we can capitalize on for the next round of trials. And it's possible in that setting that we will find a discrete patient selection biomarker. But I think more than anything, what the translational data are telling us is that our mechanism is operative in the patients receiving the greatest clinical benefit. That's
4: very helpful as we continue to take our path forward in this space. So maybe just a follow-up on that, Jeremy, and, and I'll jump back in the queue. So are those hypotheses, then, more along the lines of what what makes sense to combine with uh, peppermut in the context of a, of a certain you know, response from the, the patient's tumor.
3: It's possible that that will lead us to particular combinations. We are right now just stepping into the earliest conversations with our our clinical advisors in the ovarian cancer space. And so recognizing what our data tell us, not only at the clinical level, but at the translational level, helps us have a robust conversation with these advisors to place our experience in ovarian into the current and what we anticipate the future landscapes of ovarian treatment will be. So it's, it's very likely that, that all of that combined will give us a very nice, tight clinical data package that we can take forward for a very solid follow on trial.
4: Okay, terrific. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
2: Thank you. And your next question comes from the line of Poe Stewartson from IA Capital Markets. Please ask a question.
5: Good morning. Just calling in for Chelsea and definitely do also want to give a, a shout out to Fred for all the work that he's done. um, <clears throat> Thanks for taking our, taking our questions. Just in terms of the sort of enrollment pace of of DLBCL trial, um, you know, how many patients do you think now that you've initiated some sites, how many patients do you think you can get um, on a monthly or, or quarterly basis, and and what will that look like by the time we get to the first interim results in in the first half of this coming year?
0: And, and thanks for you the wanted- question. Yeah, let, let Sorry, me start with ahead. this one, Jeremy, and then I'll, I'll sort of let you talk to the landscape of uh, oncology recruitment because you've got a terrific base of experience there. So I, I will say at a top level, we remain committed to the, the timeline we've set forward in the milestones. We expect in the first half of next year to have the, uh, the signal-seeking part of the, uh, this trial to be available for, for, for public presentation. And everything that we've done with site enrollment to date Uh, keeps us aligned to that timeline. The question you asked with respect to uh, the pace of enrollment of patients and what we are to expect there, I think it makes good sense for Jeremy to opine on having had the depth of experience he has clinically.
3: Thanks, Andrew. So I think it's it's a great question, and and as Andrew said, Mm -hmm. I think that we're strategizing to ensure that we get the enrollment that we've projected. Right now, we've initiated two sites. We could enroll our first patient at any moment. We are expanding those sites dramatically, and we're expanding the, the, region, the regions within which we're doing the trial. So right now, it's North America-focused. We will be pulling sites in from Australia and New Zealand, and then ultimately Europe as well. And so that'll help us hit the enrollment targets that we need, and hopefully here very shortly, we'll announce the first patient into the trial.
5: Fantastic, and, and just a quick follow-up. So, the the data that we will be seeing the the clinical update in the first half um, of next year is this similar to what we saw for the basket trial? It's it's um, you know where are the no the go no go um, points for each arm, or, or will there be any sort of response rates? That uh, is that too early,
0: Jeremy? Again, this one's for you.
3: From my vantage point, it might be too early to rely upon response rates at that point. We might. Uh, depending upon when the patients get into trial, which we anticipate very shortly. We might be able to give an update on, on current state, but I'm not so sure that we could we could fully inform on response rate as quickly as the first few months of next year.
5: Sure. And then one final one from me, if that's all right. Um, just in terms of the ovarian cancer, I'm, I mean, obviously trial design is in early stages still, and, and there's talks to come, but is this um, definitely going to be a monotherapy only um, trial, or, or would you consider um, adding a, a, an additional arm to try and get some, you know, um, further info on other kinds of combos besides PEMBRO?
0: Let me let me take again the, the top part of that question, um, and then have Jeremy opine with uh, expertise below that. So one of the things that and in many years across this industry, I know better than anyone is that monotherapy activity in any setting in oncology is something that you want to make sure you take as far through development as you can. It is a wildly important commodity when it comes to the opportunity for business development, and it also confirms the therapeutic benefit of your mechanism alone. We also know that ovarian is a you know a complicated, difficult space, and that there is. Uh, a wild amount of unmet need and that patient suffering terribly from a disease that is a long way away from being well treated. And so we remain very open to doing the best and most, you know, most high probability of success clinical trial in this space. And it might be worth Jeremy just opining on some very early conversations we're having as to some thoughtful areas that that may be.
3: I think it's a great point, Andrew. I think one of the things I want to reaffirm is Mavropepamute-S with the low-dose cyclophosphamide is active in this population. Um, We think very active in this population and we're excited about that in and of itself. As we chew on these data with our clinical advisors and as we get their impressions of current treatment landscape as well as what they anticipate the future treatment landscape will be, it's very possible that we end up doing combinations for instance maybe with a bevacizumab type of a molecule or maybe with a PARP inhibitor we'll have to await those conversations we expect our advisors to dig deeply into the data with us for ovarian cancer the data that that I think really instruct us that that we are generating a survivor specific T cell response that is definitively linked to the patients who are doing best uh, on our on our various trials so so We haven't firmed up what the next trial will be yet. That's going to be really based upon the continued conversation with our KOLs as they digest these, not only clinical data, but the translational data over the course of the next
5: few months. Thank you very much, gentlemen. appreciate the color. Thanks, Paul.
2: Thank you, and your next question comes from the line of David Novak from Raymond James
6: please ask a question. Hi folks, thanks for taking my question. Um, First, I'd I'd echo the sentiments with respect to Fred. He he was an excellent CEO and and we're sad to see him go. Um, I I guess my one question would be regarding the median overall survival you guys reported from the DECIDE trial yesterday. Um, The the range we're seeing here between the previously reported PFS at 4.7 months and and the median OS at 19.9 months is is quite wide. So I'm, I'm just trying to rationalize that. Um, in your prepared remarks today, you mentioned one patient who remained SD on your drug for over two years. Um, th- does this imply that the remainder of patients included in the OS calculation were put on other exper- experimental therapeutics post-progression of uh, MVPS? uh and could you remind us what the median duration of response was in the trial? And again,
0: Jeremy, this one's for you.
3: Okay, Andrew. So, So the first part of your question was, what did our patients see after they completed our trial? And that's one of the things we're digging through right now to really appreciate the, what I think are outstanding median OS data and how well they stack up. Uh, So we'll be able to, to dig through that with our clinical advisors here over the course of the next month. Really appreciate that data and understand how then that OS data stack up. In terms of the OS relative to the PFS, I think for immunotherapies, we've often recognized that the OS can be outsized relative to PFS, just as a general comment on immunotherapy, in large part because of the way we we evaluate patients on immunotherapy. Sometimes size changes by CAT scan don't really reflect benefit in the IO space. So PFS is born, Where it's the flip side of the coin, from the response rates and the CAT scans that we do, as well as other clinical considerations. OS, of course, can reflect that there's maybe more going on there than we can see by a CAT scan. So it's not unprecedented by any stretch that the OS number might be outsized relative to a PFS number book. We do need to search through the follow-on therapies and see if there's anything there that explains that. We certainly believe at the moment what explains it is the, the efficacy driven by our drug. Now your second question,
6: yeah, it was was just on. If you could remind us what the median duration of response was uh, in, in the trial.
3: The duration of response in the ovarian trial.
0: Maybe Andrew, do you remember that right off the top of your head? I do not have that uh, right at my fingertips, but that's certainly something we can uh, provide and follow up.
6: Yes. Excellent. That that would be great. That that's very helpful, guys. Thank you very much. I'll I'll hop back in the queue.
2: There are no further questions at this time. Please continue.
0: Uh, Thank you, everyone, for your attention this morning and for the excellent questions. Uh, I wish everyone a very happy Wednesday, and uh, I look forward to communicating with you all in follow-up following today's presentation. Thank you. Thank you all.
2: This This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.